morning. We want to learn of you. We want to grow in you. Lord, help us to keep eternity in our hearts and all that we say and all that we do, Lord. We thank you and praise you for this time. You teach, we listen in your name. Amen. Hey, continue our study through 2 Peter. Just started the book last week. Want to do a quick little recap before we get into what we're talking about here this morning. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to grab a copy of the CD or listen to it online. We spend a lot of time in verses 5 through 7. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, a lot of times I have people come up to me over years and they want to know where they stand in the Lord. This right here, and this is what we did last week in verses 5 through 7, is a great little test to say, where am I at? It starts out in verse 5 with faith. I believe, I know who Christ is, I have faith in that, my relationship with Jesus. But then you see yourself growing deeper and deeper, eventually going to verse 7, of love. And that word love is a unique Greek word, it's an agape word, it means that when you look at people, you see them through the eyes of Christ. You start seeing individuals as people that need to know Jesus, are they going to heaven or going to hell? You start realizing the world does not revolve around me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I think. It's what glorifies the Lord and all that I say and do. And all of a sudden, your life has this deeper meaning and this deeper purpose because you're walking in this love. Now, that's the goal. And we mentioned verses 5 through 7. I don't know where everybody's at on that line. But you've got to be careful. Because in verses 8 and 9, if we choose not to go down this path, there's a barrenness. In verse 8, there's also an unfruitfulness. And that word for barren means idle. It means we're not doing anything for the Lord. It doesn't mean your life's not busy. I know a lot of people whose life is extremely busy, but they're not busy for the Lord. Work keeps them busy. Family keeps them busy. Calendar of commitments keeps them busy. There's no doubt about that. There is something going on every moment of the day. But are they barren for the Lord? And that's the concern. And the next one there is unfruitful. Same word used in the parable of the sower and the seed. Life chokes them out. These are the people that you say, hey, I encourage you. I want to see you go deeper and grow. I'd love to. But right now, oh, I got this project at home I got to finish up. Or, you know, right now we got this going on at work. Or right now we got this. And there's always just something that keeps us unfruitful. And there's something that keeps us barren. And when we lose that focus spiritually, verse 9, we become short-sighted, even blindness. We don't even see it. We don't even see it. We're coming to church. We're moral people. We're doing the right things. But we've lost that eternal mindset of the Lord and focusing on him and what matters most right there. So with that being said, that is what we talked about last week. It takes us right to verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that if we know these things... If you know you lacks these things, now that we know them, what are we going to do with that verse 10? First word you see there is to be diligent. Be diligent. Isn't interesting? That's the first word also given back in verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, effort. See, there's a deeper calling to our lives, and the first step in that is diligence. There's an effort. You have to want it. You've heard me say out here a lot these little phrases that I've picked up over the years. You can't bully somebody into wanting going deeper in the Lord. You know, as a pastor, I can only equip the saints. I can't whip the saints. There has to come a time in verse 10 where you have the diligence. You say, I want this. I want to do it. If you don't want to, there's nothing we can do about it. I hope and pray that comes to that conclusion that you say, I want more. 
I want this diligence. It takes effort, and it takes a lot of work. If you really want to know God's will for your life, it is a lot of work. Proverbs 20 talks about this, about knowing the wisdom of the Lord. It's like a deep well that you have to take the effort to pull that water out. There is a reason why we have faucets in our house, and you just turn the handle, and the water comes right out. It's a whole lot easier than going out getting buckets full of water. If you really want to know the Lord's will, this is not just a quick little prayer. This is possibly days, weeks, months, maybe even years to have the patience to allow the Lord to work in our life. Part of that process of seeing where the Lord wants you to be, knowing your calling, is allowing him to work in this time frame. Think about this. When Paul got saved, the Bible says that he went and spent about three and a half years in the desert just learning more about the Lord. That's quite the discipleship class, people. Three and a half years. But that's the whole process of saying, I want to be diligent enough to know what God's will is for my life. I'm going to put the effort into it. So I hope that you have that desire to do that. But the truth is, there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of people, people even in this church maybe, that are content in coming and just sitting and being a good moral person, believing in the Lord. No, we want more. We want more of what the Lord has to say. What's the next one then? After this idea of being diligent, what are we supposed to be diligent about in verse 10? To make your call and election sure, your calling. That word literally means it's an invitation. God is inviting you to go with him and go deeper. He doesn't need you. He just wants you. So you have been invited to this. Do you want it? Do you want to respond? Now, you get invited to a lot of things. You can get invited to weddings, you get invited to graduation parties, you get invited to bridal showers, baby showers, etc. Some of them you get the invitation. You are excited about that invitation. You put that on your fridge, you mark it on your calendar, and you want to do it. Other ones you get and you hope you have something else going on that day. So you can give them a reason why you don't have to go. Same thing spiritually. God is calling you, he's inviting you to go deeper. The question is, do you want to? Now, he's not going to push you. He's not going to force you. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to do that. But he's going to put that on your heart to say, I am calling you to something more. I'm inviting you to a deeper purpose in life than just showing up, going to work, coming home, taking kids here, taking kids there, making sure the house is clean. There's a deeper calling. And when you start to see that deeper calling, all of a sudden it's like, Lord, I get why I'm here. There's an eternal mindset and a focus in what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, once again, do we have the diligence to say that we want that? We so often fill our lives with just stuff. And that stuff is not necessarily bad. There can be good things, good family times that come out of that, good times of helping neighbors, etc. And there's some things that have to be done. We live in a world where you need to provide for your family. But the problem is some of those things we allow to overtake us spiritually. And what Peter is trying to tell us here is, listen, there's a spiritual mindset that goes past just the day-in, day-out routine where you want something more. That I realize there's a deeper calling in my life, and I want to do that when I start looking at eternity. And not only that, verse 10, make your call an election sure. That idea of being election, that idea of being chosen, God chose you. He wants to work with you. He chose you. And he didn't choose you because you're smart or intelligent or because you brought something to the table. He chose you out of grace and mercy that he just wants you. Now, that's something that's kind of difficult to grasp sometimes. Probably about 20, 25 years ago, there was a group of us that all got saved at the same time. And we started this little impromptu Bible study in their house. 
We were going through 1 John, and the subject came up of being chosen. And, and by default, I was the one that had been saved the longest. And when I say saved the longest, I've been saved about three months longer than everybody else. And so they said, what does it mean to be chosen? What does that mean? Now, my mind is a very analytical mind, very black and white. So I went down this path of what it means to be chosen by God, the scriptures, the references, and you know, God's foreknowledge and the whole thing. And there was this gal that was attending study, just got saved a little bit after I did, and she was in tears. And I thought, this is my great first teaching moment. I just bring people to tears. And I said, what's going on? And she said, I just can't get past the point that God chose me. He just loved me and chose me. And that point right there, it hit me. I had the intellectual side of it. I had the scripture side of it. She had that emotional side of it just to say, God wanted me. He chose me. What an amazing thing. For you here this morning, the idea that God has chosen you and wants to work with you. He has called you to something more. And to make sure of it, verse 10, to make your call and election sure. Some of your translations, stable, firm. It's solid. It's not going to be changed here and there. There's a solid, firm foundation where the Lord says, I have a plan for your life and I want to do it. Now, how long does that calling last for? There's seasons. You may have a season where God has called you to go minister here for a while. Soon God calls you to minister there or something like that. You may have a season where your ministry is that neighbor. You have a season where that ministry is a co-worker. I don't know. But in that season, there's a sureness of this is what I'm supposed to do. Every now and then I run into that believer that they're just called all over the place. One week they come in and they think they're called to missionary work overseas. Well, you should well pray about it. Next week they come and they're called to start a study here. Next week they're called and they end up doing nothing. They're just bouncing from idea to idea to idea. What you see here in 2 Peter 1 is that there is a diligent calling and election that is sure, firm, and stable. Where you say, I know where God has called me to be. And when that happens, there is a peace in that. And there's a foundational truth in that. And you stop and you say, this is where I am supposed to be. And Lord, I love it. It may not be what I've chosen. It may not be what I wanted. But there's a peace in knowing where God wants me. And I notice that's what most people want in life. They want that deeper calling to say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Sure, they get the idea of the work schedule. Go in, come in, come home, whatever. That's not going to fulfill you. There's seasons of kids, that's not going to fulfill you. There's seasons of this, but there's also a calling of the Lord that is sure. They will definitely bless you. And what else do we see coming out of this calling? Take a look here at the end of verse 10. If you do these things, you'll never stumble. What things? The things back in verses 5 through 7. I will not stumble because I'm where God has called me to be. I am doing what he's asked me to do. And there's a peace about that. And I have a direction in my life. Now, if you want that, it goes back to our first word. You have to be diligent to work at that. Are you diligent to stop and say, Lord, through prayer, through fasting, through seeking the word, I want what you want? Are you willing to stop and say, it's not what I want, but it's you want? Are you willing to stop and say, it's Lord, it's not what I think is best for me. It's not about what I think for a job. It's not what I think for a housing location. It's what you want, Lord. And I will be obedient to that calling. Now, once again, this is not just some quick little prayer. Lord, lead me, guide me. This is the time, energy, and effort of being diligent into it and stopping and saying, Lord, this is all that matters. This is all that matters in the whole scheme of eternity in heaven and hell. I want to impact eternity, not just live for myself. 
not just live for myself. See, here's the thing. So often, we just think about the here and now, don't we? And we just jump from thing to thing to thing. And next thing you know, you're at an age that you never thought you would be. Your kids are older than you ever thought they would be. And then you stop and you look back and you say, what am I doing? Wouldn't it be great at a young age to figure out what your calling is and say, Lord, I want to be where you want me to be. I want to grow where you plant me. So often I use examples of my family of a negative one (laughs) because I try to be honest. So I'm always hesitant to give you a positive one because I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to say we got it figured out because we're still a work in progress. But last week, uh, or it may have been two weeks ago, Elias had his birthday. My oldest turned 12. And so what we do for birthdays is you get a chance to go out, and I take you out, and you get a chance to determine what you want to go, the stores you want to do, all the places. And it's just just this fun little day to kind of get out. So I come home, I pick up Elias, and it's like, okay, bud, where do you want to go? And he's got a list. Elias has got a list. He's just that that personality. He wants to go to this store, wants to go to this place, wants to do this, etc. Because, Dad, I want to go to GameStop. Now, he loves GameStop. He could spend hours in GameStop looking at the games, the video games, etc. He goes, but one of the reasons why he wanted to go to GameStop, he felt in his heart, he had brought tracks with him, he wanted to give a Bible track to the store manager of GameStop. Wow. And I thought, my goodness, I didn't have that mindset at that age. Sometimes as an adult, I don't have that mindset, but that was his mindset, is I want to go there, and I want to obviously look around the store, but I want there, and I want to pray that we have an opportunity to talk to that guy and give that guy a tract. And I thought, Lord, help us to have that mindset of every interaction we have could be a spiritual interaction. Where you start walking into stores and you see people and you just start praying for them. And you say, Lord, open a door. I'm available. I'm willing. Where all of a sudden it goes back here to verse 7. That idea of love. We reach a point through the spirit of, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you, Lord. And how can we represent you? And everybody has their own struggles with that. We have to move past us. We have to die to ourselves and say, what's the greater good? It's representing Jesus Christ. That's the greater good. You know, for me on a Sunday morning, it's not about how many people that come or anything like that, because I can't make you be here. But if you're here, I want to love you and point you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. When I go out and talk to people, you know what? I'll carry a tract with me and say, Lord, if you open a door, I want to represent you. I want to be available because it's not about me. Now, once again, to the point I made earlier, not everybody wants this. Some people are content just coming and sitting and being good, moral. I know the Lord. The Lord knows me. And to be honest, I'm just so busy living my life right now, it's hard to look past this. Please remember, the Bible says you get about 70 years. That's all you get, the Bible says. And sometimes you don't even get 70 years. There's supposed to be an eternal mindset in all that we do and say when we start looking at things past the here and now and towards eternity. And this is what Peter's trying to tell us. Look at verse 12. For this reason, I would not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. There's two words in there we need to focus on. The first one is this idea of remind. Take a look at verse 12. He wants to remind us. Uh, what do we see again? Verse 13, he's reminding us. And what do you see in verse 15? A reminder. What do you think the point is there? Peter says, I'm going to keep telling you the same things. What am I going to remind you of? I'm going to remind you of this truth. Verse 12. Listen, when you come into church, you're probably not going to hear something that's brand new. But I'm just going to keep reminding you of truth. That's what our job is. 
Our job is to come remind you of truth and then go encourage you. Go do something with that knowledge. Don't just go home and live your life. Don't just go home and this idea of go to work, come home, go to the school activity. No, I have this truth. I'm reminded of eternity. And I'm reminded that there's an eternal heaven and hell. And so therefore, those things that I'm getting really worked up about right now, I could probably just let go. Because in the whole scheme of heaven and hell, it does not matter. Somebody has said something. Someone's offended. I have felt slighted. I feel used. I feel this. Yeah, but I want to represent Jesus in all I do. And so Peter is saying, I'm going to constantly remind you of that truth again and again and again. And how am I going to remind you of that truth? For as long as I'm living. Because look at the other word that he uses here a lot. Verse 13, as long as I'm in this tent. Verse 14, I must put off my tent. Some of your translations may say tabernacle. It's temporary. We don't live in tents. We live in houses. This idea that he's saying that this life is so temporary. But we don't look at it that way. We look at it as right here, right now is everything. Where the Bible is constantly trying to tell you this is not everything. Eternity is everything. And if you really know that and believe that, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you think. Once again, you have responsibilities you must take care of in this world. We get that. But ultimately, it's not about us. It's about living for the Lord. Can you go with me to 2 Corinthians 5, please? Paul uses the same analogy of a tent. 2 Corinthians 5. We have a tendency to take what is temporary right now and make too big deal out of it. Peter is telling us, look past the tent. Paul is telling us, look past the tent. What are we really going to live for? What really matters? Do I really care about what my calling is? Do I really care about what the Lord wants me to do? Or is it just about fulfilling me? Look here what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. See, Paul is trying to tell the same thing here. You are living in a temporary residence where you have an eternal building from God in heaven. That is your focus. Now, I've shared with you before my feelings on camping. My idea of camping is a hotel room with air conditioning and an indoor pool. I love that type of camping. That is not my wife's mindset. I've shared with you before how she has a much different mindset of camping. I remember for our first anniversary when we got married, she wanted to go tent camping. So we went tent camping. And I thought, why are we doing this? I have a bed. I have a mattress. We got married in August, so we went tent camping in August. Why am I tent camping in August? So thankfully, we did not have to do tent camping for too long. So then she said, actually, the camping she likes a lot is the pop-up camper. Now, I did not grow up camping, so never really understood a lot about it, but she was excited about this idea of getting a pop-up camper. So the next camper we got was a pop-up camper. And then I realized, so now I have to show up at this place, back this in, and I have to crank my house up now. What type of, this is not much better. So now I'm cranking up my house, cranking down my house. There's no bathroom in it. Why am I doing this? So we did that for a while. And then we finally moved up to something that I I really like. We got this RV. And it was a wonderful RV. It was wonderful. It was a blessing. It was beautiful. It was well taken care of. Never got to use it once because we decided to keep having children. And so we couldn't even use it. So finally a few years ago, she decided what we're going to do is this. She's going to get this camper that's big. And it's going to be big, and this is something that we're going to be able to invest in and use for a long time and, you know, fill in the blank. But to do it, um, we had to get a fixer-upper. 
Now, you would think after 20 years of marriage, she'd realize she did not marry a guy that can fix up anything. Nothing. So we tried it for a summer to fix it up, and it's like, this is not my calling. This is not what it is. We sold it, and I tell you, to this day, I still have in my garage this for sale thing. I walk back, and I praise God every day. (laughs) That God's grace, God's grace was stronger than my wife's wisdom on getting that camper. So I see this idea of a tent, and I look at this, and verse 1, I want a building from God, eternal. That's my focus. So I, I am a mortal being that will die, but yet I'm an eternal soul that will live on forever. So with that being said, my mortal body will die, and I, and I don't know when, and you don't know when. And if you have some mindset that you're going to make it to 90 plus and that pass peacefully in your sleep, there's no guarantee of any of that. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Your tent is going to fall apart, and you've got to focus on eternity. How much time and energy do we spend making our tent be as comfortable as we possibly can? We invest in our tents rather than the eternal home that is waiting for us in heaven. This tent, though, verse 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. We groan in this tent. Now the problem is this is all we've experienced. So I, I think this is good. The problem is the Lord is saying, you've got to trust me that there's more than just this tent. Oh, no, Lord, I'm really, I'm really content with my life. i got a TV with a remote and a couch. I, I can go home and eat what I want. I can do this. This is really nice. No, it's not. This is a temporary tent. And if this is what you live for, if your mindset, if your fulfillment, if your joy is based on the right here, right now, you will walk in a perpetual disappointment and discouragement. You will maybe have moments of peace. You will maybe have moments of joy. But there will not be this eternal mindset of all that matters is heaven and hell. Because what you're going to be doing for is living for your tent that is temporary. And you'll find yourself, verse 2, groaning. Verse 3, if indeed having been clothed, we should not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. That there's, I, I realize there's more. And that's my focus, verse 5. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There comes a time where you say, I let go of the tent and I get my eternal home. That's your mindset. That's your focus. This is what Peter is trying to tell us here in 2 Peter chapter 1. He's saying, guys, listen, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be in this tent. Now, we know this is the last epistle that Peter wrote. We don't know how soon it is until this time that he dies. Church tradition has him being crucified. That's how he was martyred. We don't know for for sure. But he's saying, as long as I'm in this tent, I'm just going to keep reminding you guys. And guess what? That's what we're going to do out here. You're going to come, and I hope you have a time of worship and fellowship. I hope you have a time of ministry. We give you service opportunities. But I'm just going to keep reminding you of truth. So that way you will go and say, now listen, I just did an hour at church. Okay, that's great. I'm glad you're here. But that means I also have seven other days that can go represent Jesus and how I live and how I work. Because it's not about the here and now. It's about focusing on eternity. And that's what Peter is trying to tell us here. He's trying to tell you, you have something more. Jump back to verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly 
and to the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Please note that everlasting kingdom. Everlasting kingdom. All this time and energy we put into a a vehicle, a home, a project, a lawn, a work project, that's not an everlasting kingdom. I see a lot of Christians, pastors, churches trying to build a kingdom right here. Man, we've got to look past this and look towards the more. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't put your effort into things. The Bible makes it clear you work as if working for the Lord, not for man. Whatever your hand finds to do, you work at it diligently, according to Ecclesiastes. But always in the back of your mind saying, there's more. There's an internal mindset, there's more. And Peter says, I'm going to constantly remind you of these things. Now, what do we do with this information? The problem is this, verse 12. For this reason, I would not be negligent to remind you. Sometimes we're negligent. That word means careless, make light of. We know it, but it's negligent about it. I mean, you're here this morning. I'm assuming most of you here this morning, if not the vast majority of you, if I asked you, do you believe in the eternity of heaven and hell, you would. Do you believe in Jesus Christ being the only way? You would. Do you believe that should impact how you live your life? You would. I would agree with all that. But I find myself sometimes being negligent about that. Careless. Making light of it, literally, in the Greek. I get myself caught up in things. Just think about the things that probably upset you this week. Did any of them matter in the whole scheme of eternity? Think about the last thing that really got you ruffled. Was it something to do with the nature and deity of Jesus where you needed to protect what people thought about Christ on the cross? Probably not. We probably got worked up over something that matters nothing in eternity. But it really mattered in our tent. But we don't live in our tents forever. There's an internal mindset that we need to remember. Verse 11, there's an everlasting kingdom. Verse 12, I do not want to be negligent of this. I want to live it. Peter said he wanted to live it because of verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's saying, listen, I'm just not making up some story here. Verse 16, I was an eyewitness to what Jesus did, to what Jesus was like. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. It's Matthew 17. This is the transfiguration of Jesus. This is where Jesus took up Peter, James, and John up into the mountain. And for a very brief moment, they saw Jesus in the glory of God. And this is where Moses appeared beside him and Elijah appeared beside him. They talked about the cross. Peter says, listen, guys, I saw a small, tiny glimpse into eternity. And Peter is saying, that's changed me. Because I know what I believe is true. I saw his majesty. I heard the voice. That's going to change the way I live. We can get lulled to sleep very quickly with life. We can equate spiritual growth by busyness. And really the Lord is saying, it's just you and me. There's a reason why we use this phrase, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I can impact my boys. I can encourage my wife. My wife can encourage me. I can encourage you. You guys can encourage me. But ultimately, it's me and the Lord in the quietness of the day 
or I choose how to live at that moment. I choose what to listen to in the car. I choose what to watch when I get home. I choose how to spend my free time. I choose how to have interactions with people. Do I look at it from eternal or do I look at it from earthly? It's me and the Lord that make a lot of those decisions. It's very easy to be saved, to be moral, to be good, to be a church-going Christian, but to really not think about eternity. What Peter is trying to tell us is, listen, there's an eternal mindset, and you've got to get that focus. Because when you have that focus, it changes everything. And the way we get that focus is from God's word. Look at verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, look at that. A light that shines in a dark place. See, it's like this switch that happens. This is what I've noticed in my life. And, and I'm still in a growth process of being a Christian. But I can remember when I got saved, there was a light that went on. It's like, I get it. I mean, I, I'd gone to church my whole life. My parents always took me to church. But I never fully, really understood what it meant to be a Christian. And then I, I get it now. Heaven, hell. I remember Jim doing the altar call. And it's like, I don't want to go to hell. What do I need to do to not go to hell? Believe on the Lord Jesus. I will, then I will take that. Thank you. And I remember then him calling me that night and trying to explain to me, do you know what you just did? And I, I know what I just did. I just got out of hell. I'm good right now, thanks. And then I remember thinking, as I just started going to church, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second. There's this relationship. And so there was this time where the light came on a little bit more. It's like, oh, discipleship class with Richard and Betsy. Oh, I get the idea. And I remember the first time I started witnessing. It's like, oh, I start caring about other people. But then what happens is this. You get to this point in life where you can get lulled spiritually. Married, start having kids, the house, even out here at church. We have Wednesday, then we have Sunday. And then we have Wednesday, and then we have Sunday. And then it's easy to get into this. In the last few years, the Lord has said, well, wait a second. There's more than Wednesday and Sunday, James. It's like, no, there's not, Lord. <laughs> That's all that matters is Wednesday and Sunday. Then all of a sudden, I started realizing, after being out here 20 years, it's like, wow. Whoever wants to come Sunday is going to come, and I'm just going to love them and remind them of the truth. And then throughout the week, let's just encourage each other to really live for eternity. Let's really encourage each other to be a light and a witness. In verse 19, the light shines in a dark place. It's like, okay, Lord, I think I get a little bit more. And I'm sure five years from now, I'll look back and say, wow, I thought I had it figured out then. Now there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more. And it's like, Lord, and now I see other people. And it's like, yeah, I was there. I remember being there. I just came to church. Oh, I love the Lord. I would do some devotions. But, but now I realize there's more. And Dawn and I were just talking last night. We're just kind of laying there in bed. We're like, okay, who do we look up to spiritually? Who do we know that says, like, oh, there's even more? Wow, Lord. We want to talk to them. What does it look like to even go deeper? This is what it means to go make disciples that we've been talking about in Matthew 28. To keep saying, Lord, I want more of you. Because it's really easy just to get into this tent. Where does this come from? Verse 20, knowing that this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter's going to use this now as a stepping stone into chapter 2, which we're going to get into next week. He's going to say, this comes through the scriptures. And what you're going to find out here in chapter 2 is there's a lot of false teaching. 
A lot of false teaching, a lot of false mindsets, a lot of false things. And we need to know the truth. How do we know the truth? Verse 20. No prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation. Remember what the word prophecy means. Prophecy means foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling means predicting future events. The Bible is a book of prophecy. It predicts future events. Some are yet to be fulfilled. But there's also the forthtelling, meaning I am speaking forth for the Lord. This is what the Lord has said. Hopefully when we get up and teach out here, we go chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, precept upon precept. We stop and say, this is what the Lord is saying. Because we can study out his word. This is God's word. It's of no private interpretation. Meaning it needs to line up with everything else in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We can't contradict the scriptures. We can't contradict the nature of Jesus. We need to understand this. Can you go with me to Acts 17, please? Acts 17. We've got to be careful. Because sometimes you run into ministries, pastors, people, that will find a verse. They'll find that verse, and guess what they'll do with that verse? They'll make it say whatever they want. We need to make sure that we fully understand God's word. we got to make sure that we understand that. See, there's this group here in Acts chapter 17 where Paul was going through and he's speaking to different people. Take a look at verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went in there and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. He says, I'm going to go into these synagogues and I'm going to talk to you. And I'm going to go and I'm going to explain who Jesus Christ is. Please note, he did this for a few weeks. We have gotten this mindset in American Christianity. Because this is what we see online or we see people talk about. That I'm going to run into a complete stranger that I've never met. I'm going to have a one minute conversation with them. Then they're going to hit their knees, accept Jesus. And the next week, they're going to go and start a mega ministry church and reach millions. That can happen. That's the beauty of the Lord. But what you really see here when you study out Acts in the Bible is building relationships with people. And over time, you just keep witnessing and sharing and planting seeds. There's a reason why that that co-worker that you can't stand is constantly on your shift. That's God's way of saying, do you really think you're there to earn a paycheck? You're there to represent me to the lost. There's a reason why those people keep coming back into your life. Because God says you can build a relationship with them. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that sometimes I think people treat me as the spiritual hitman. They hire me. Can you go tell my cousin about Jesus? I've never met your cousin. Your cousin doesn't know me. You go tell your cousin about Jesus. It's not that I don't care for your cousin's soul, but you've built a relationship with them and hopefully your cousin has seen how the Lord has moved in your life, changed your life, and you can go and say, this is what Jesus did for me. Building that, keep growing. And that's the one thing that I would definitely learn is this idea of just keep planting seeds and planting seeds. You know, we went up to the mosques a couple weeks ago. One of the things that Pastor George says, it can take a Muslim anywhere from two to seven years to really come to know Christ. Because you're not just changing religions. It's a lifestyle. It's a culture. It's everything. So you go. You talk. You build. You talk. You build, and you just keep doing it again and again and again. You have some people that have been in your life for weeks, months, years, maybe decades. It's a lot of time to plant seeds. Amen to that. So what happens is Paul is talking to them. Well, verse 5 Some didn't like it. There's a mob. There's an uproar. This man by the name of Jason is drug out of the city, etc. So they end up changing towns. Verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, 
When they arrived, they went into the synagogues of the Jews. So same thing. We're going to go into the town. We're going to go into the synagogues. Because in the synagogues, you're going to have people that are willing to listen and to talk and to debate, etc. So they're going to go in, have the Old Testament readings, and then we're going to tell them about Jesus. But look at verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. There's a little phrase we like to use called be a Berean. Now, some of your translations may say in verse 11, these people were more noble. This does not mean they had titles, they had money, they had prestige. What it means is this. They saw the value in it. There was a noble spiritual character about them where they stopped and said, I want this. And they studied it out. I encourage you, verse 11, any reference I make, write it down, look it up. If you've got a question, call me, email me, text me. Be a Berean, search it out, study it out. Get into the word and really understand it. And then you're going to see yourself growing and growing more. Jump back, if you will, now to Second Peter. Let's finish this up. This is what Peter's trying to say. Listen, this prophecy, the scripture, Peter's saying, this is not just me. This is God's word. Because verse 21, it came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That phrase moved, it actually can be a sailing term, meaning carried away by the wind. You put the boat in the water. Back then there was no engines. You had to let the wind guide and direct. Same thing when these men felt led by the Lord, when pen touched paper, it was the Holy Spirit carrying them in their words. This is God's word from Genesis to Revelation that you have. Of course, it's going to be attacked, and that's what we're going to get into next week. But for right here, right now, Peter is telling us, are you going to use this tool? Are you going to move past the tent? I I encourage you this week, take a look at your life. You're here this morning, and I appreciate that. But take a look at your life and just stop and say, am I living for the tent, or am I living for that eternal home? Am I allowing this tent to control what I do, how I live, how I act? Or is my mindset on the Lord? Because I have a divine calling. I have a godly calling that I have been chosen for. And I don't know what that is. But I'm going to spend time in prayer and in the word seeking the Lord in that. What an exciting thing it is. What an exciting thing it is when you find out, Lord, this is why I'm here. And when you figure out why you're here, all of a sudden you can live for the Lord in ways that you can never imagine. Worship team, if you want to come forward. What I want to kind of close with is this.